whistling and then I based this uh, this uh, theme on that and I don't know what that whistling is based on so maybe play oh, runner yeah <laughs> yeah oh then then some acid you know <laughs> it's possible <laughs> it's really hard to... yeah but so hey first episode indeed hello I'm Kari and uh, my co-host is Henrik and uh, maybe hello. a little bit about ourselves so Well, I studied media. I used to work with editing a little bit and documentaries. Really, just a little burst. Uh, like a, a, for one or two years after I studied, I I did this, and uh, afterwards I've been doing other stuff. But the keenness on movies has been there ever since, and uh, before that as well. And now we just decided to do something different uh, with Henrik again. We started doing some uh, movie and game reviews for a website a long time ago and that was a lot yeah. of fun <laughs> that's how <laughs> history started yes that, that was an experience i mean that was a lot of fun uh, a lot of memories from those times yeah uh, a lot of good memories a lot of good memories it was pretty fun times yeah yeah i remember how this all started and uh, I still feel a little bit guilty about it or weird because the way we got into talks with with each other was that as far as I remember I was on uh, a website that uh, reviewed movies <laughs> and for whatever reason I was looking at Henrik Henrik's uh, material on the website and then I decided that this uh, is awful and then I had the even better idea to contact him about it or i don't know if it was you directly or was it some admin on the page or whatnot and anyway i got in touch with you personally and I, then i felt really bad this 15 year old kid or however old i was was feeling bad that i had said these words and i don't know what i was doing on the website to begin with i guess i was looking for a new writer for the website uh, and then <laughs> for whatever reason then we decided to take you on board with the uh, Vitonen website and actually you were fantastic <laughs> yeah yeah it, it, i remember this this one it, it was actually it was my first hooray to the weird world of internet movie criticism uh, it, it, it was what <laughs> video i thought or what was the the site Yeah, that sounds familiar. Something like that, something like that, you know. Uh, yeah, I I remember this too. It was the uh, Halloween, age twenty, the twenty years later movie which I have reviewed, and yeah, there there was I only actually agree to take part of the blame 
with that review because one of the sticking points was that the, the movie was titled H2O, like the chemical compound. Yeah. Uh, or the chemical short for water yeah. for some odd reason and that goes actually full well and that is totally our admin's fault who proofread and kind of a little last minute edits for oh. our reviews I mean I, 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 I specifically I did write it H20 and I never checked back on that review after after I had submitted it for our admin. And then I got your message, like, what the hell is this, uh, you know, H2O? <laughs> like, what is this water shit in Halloween reviews? And I was like, the fuck? <laughs> and went back on and read it and noticed that, yeah, for some reason, you know, it, it had completely changed on the proofreading process. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was a common mistake. It was also a pretty easy mistake to actually... Age 20 uh, still was relatively new movie. It, it was only a few years old back in those days. And there had been a big hooray when it had come out. Yeah. Because it was supposed to be this... Great Yeah, this kind of a... Triumph Return of the Halloween Franchise really. and this celebration of Halloween Franchise. So it had been covered pretty largely in media news. So in, in that sense, you know, I still can't actually figure out how the hell our proofreader and admin got the bright idea to change it to H2O. Hooray for the admin. That's how we are doing this podcast now. Yeah, that is, yeah. That led me to Python and Entertainment and Networks, which <laughs> was the official site and which we worked with you after the video like the days. Yeah. Yeah, long long history that was back in the early two thousands yeah. uh, when we when we started that. All right. About you a little bit, maybe give us um information shortly what you're up to or what you what's your background my background mostly is a avid film buff and a dude who plays way too much video games and wastes his complete life on other shit but yeah at the at the moment i'm studying media oh so ho hopefully someday you know getting my grades and majoring it's still years to come so it's not in any near future that day but you know maybe maybe someday that sounds maybe, maybe with great. the help, help of this podcast or you know my old fit on reviews <laughs> i pray every day has been completely lost to the internet void <laughs> what would be your aspirations or or, or your projects if you where to work in the industry? Well, at, at this point, I would like to actually try my hand on making movies. You know, after running away from the whole industry for, for years and trying to distance myself with everything else, like focusing on real interesting and fun stuff like tax advising and bookkeeping <laughs> and having a degree on business so but uh, 
I, I don't know. I, I still don't understand how the hell I ended up, you know, studying, studying media. Yeah, that's interesting. So we have kind of a similar background or yeah, a little bit and uh, you're still working on it. I finished those studies like uh, eight years ago, but I haven't been doing too much with those papers, but that's okay. I still like films and I can look at them from perhaps from a more varied perspective. So it's great. And maybe I want to look at movies uh, from a little bit different perspective now with this podcast and uh, in general. We'll see how it goes. Maybe we will talk a little bit more about the technical aspects uh, in this podcast if I find something interesting. You know, of course, there's uh, 180 billion different podcasts about movies, so it's it's nice to bring something different on board, right? Yeah. And if anything fails, we can always just, you know, try focus on nudity and violence. Exactly. Because I'm sure that that will get us listeners. <laughs> exactly. Uh, maybe I spit on your grave next. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. In, in this political zeitgeist, I would say that that is exactly the film we should cover next. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast was something that uh, came up to my mind about a month ago. I've tried with a couple of people, but it didn't work out for many reasons. And I'm happy that we are we are getting this somewhere now. Yeah, uh, you always need a crazy fin to pull these kind of things off. Exactly. Gotta be the crazy type. What is your relationship with this today's film, which is, by the way, Rear Window? Do you have uh, memories when you first watched it or something like that? Uh, when I first saw it. Fuck, that's uh, that's a forever ago. Actually, I have, I must have been real, like young. Like, what, what would, would I have been? Probably something like ten when I first time saw saw Rear Window, and you know, some some of these more well-known Hitchcockian classics. If I if I remember correctly, it, it was that my father kind of just sat me down and what was like that. The, the, uh, this is coming from the TV, and it's it, it's some timeless classic. And now now it's the time you actually watch it, and that's how I first came in contact with Rear Window. All right. Do you know how many times you have seen it? Uh, must be something like twelve times. Wow. Okay, that's a lot. <laughs> at, at this point, but it, it's one of those movies that you watch every now and then, and then there's like. A, uh, a real long gap that you you don't come back to it. It can be a few years so that before you watch it again. So it, it, it's kind of a shameful seeing how influential kind of a Hitchcock and many of his films are to the to media and and cinema as an art form. But at, at the same time, there there is also the point that there is so many movies all together that it's hard to actually regularly watch something like for example Hitchcock collection even the rear window in that matter also kind of a, as a film consumer somewhere in for example Finland it, it was e- easier to just concentrate on certain films mostly American because for the longest time before the internet really 
kind of a boomed and opened the markets for films from different culture, you know, it, it was so that, you know, you mostly just saw American made movies. And if you wanted to see something more specific, like, for example, a, a Mexican or what, what could I say? A Venezuelan film, you have to kind of go into some dimly lit art house cinema theater or some film club that had one reel of that film temporarily and maybe get a, get a showing there. Yeah, that's absolutely true. So why I picked this film exactly? Well, let's just say that I've seen this movie probably three times now only. And the first time that I saw it was probably about 10 years ago. And when I browse around YouTube, it seems that many people found this movie via their film school or something similar, media school. And they have a lot of like student reviews online for, for this stuff. And we can get uh, more into those later because I found some irritating aspects there. Uh, anyway, the movie, the first time that I saw this, uh, it made an impression on me. No surprise there. And uh, I found that it's very well structured, obviously. And the first time that I saw it, I, I, I also felt a lot of... Uh, tension and I, I I was really at the edge of my seat when we get to the, uh, the the climax part of the movie it was it was really amazing that you can do such a feeling to the audience or me by just suggesting things basically and you don't see a lot of you don't see blood or anything gory or stuff like that it's just all in your head when when the movie gets into your head and it's not showing everything that's that's how you do the greatest horror films and thrillers of all time case in point halloween for example yeah or if we want to stay with hitchcockian films the famous psycho which pretty much pulls the exact same stunt especially on the sour scene that yeah. it's is is kind of infamous on its uh, or on its release was on it, it was infamous on the levels of violence and nudity, which in the end, if if you watch it closely, kind of a frame by frame, you notice that is non pretty non-existent. You you don't actually see the stabbings like the knife hitting the flesh like you would see pretty much in a more modern horror film. But there is still the kind of the aspect of it being in your head and your mind kind of filling the gaps and making the whole scene much more gruesome and much more gorier than what it really is. And that is, I, I would say that is kind of a, what also plays, like you said, in Rear Window and on how it creates this atmosphere and tension without actually ever showing you anything because because that that is one thing in rear window you never actually see anything a, a, any of the more violent parts of the story they are always off camera so basically it's the theater of the mind everybody is in the theater seeing the same movie but everybody probably sees or experiences it differently but everybody's brain is probably in there in the darkest places possible when they don't see what is happening. 
we can actually probably get moving on to the movie. What is it about? Well, it's about this guy, Jeff, who happens to have his leg broken. The leg is in the cast, so he can only be in his chair and observe the world from his window. And that means he's all the time voyeuring on his neighbors, spying on his neighbors, looking what they're doing. And it was like six weeks that he had been with his leg broken and he has nothing else to do. So we're kind of experiencing the whole film, actually, from his point of view, what he's seeing the neighbors doing and what is happening uh, in his house and uh, looking at his expressions when he sees uh, people doing different kinds of things. So it's an interesting way of uh, storytelling here because it's really powerful. The guy is basically, uh, most of the time, he's just looking out of his window and giving expressions, like how he feels about it. And we kind of, as an audience, come come along with it. And it's really interesting to uh, spy on the neighbors uh, with him. But then there's something more sinister going on, uh, other than just dancing and playing music. He sees that there is a neighbor who might have just murdered his wife. And this is how the whole thing gets to the second act, so to say. Yeah, general synopsis, I think you kind of went it through pretty well. I mean, there is a lot to nitpick in this movie, but that I think we can preserve to the nitpicky part. Yeah. We indeed have the nitpicky part coming up. I have some things listed about that, even though you hate lists, but uh, it's not going to be as uh, robotic as you might think. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a huge allergic reaction for lists. <laughs> so the movie starts with the titles, and behind the titles you see the windows, and the window curtains coming up and you start seeing the neighbors on the other side of the courtyard. And pretty nicely, the camera pans and shows you the whole neighborhood area and all the neighbors on the other side, all the people that we're going to watch with Mr. Jeff for quite some time, 110 minutes or so. And after that, we get to the part where lady who helps him she's coming to the house and uh, she's of course giving a hard time for Jeff because he's just uh, spying on his neighbors all the time and even asks for binoculars later for some extra assistance maybe some thoughts about the technical aspects well when it comes to the technical aspects of the film I believe you are way more kind of um, specific and more capable of covering those aspects than what I am. Yeah, but it's uh, really beautifully executed. Everything kind of goes like tic-tac-toe all the time. Everything works together as a whole. Something that I could find, well, maybe we get to the nitpicking parts already because it's I'm kind of thinking the movie in my head and how it goes in the beginning where the lady, a little bit Grace Kelly character comes in and uh, some of the things in the movie are so obvious because she comes in in this legendary scene where she gives the kiss to Jeff in a little bit of a nice slow motion. And after that, she goes to the three lamps and on each lamp, she says uh, one of her names 
first name, middle name, last name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Result is that Lisa entering the movie moment where <laughs> she, she she gives her whole name to the dude who apparently or who is said that they have been kind of or they have known each other for a very long time and there is the romance blooming between them and uh, still when when Lisa enters the film okay Kelly's character enters the film that there she kind of presents herself like Jeff would, would be having some kind of a brain stroke <laughs> going on um, level 10 dementia like <laughs> yeah 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 exactly that's one of those those things in the movie that they are so well nowadays it's so basic cinematography the way that it's so obvious that this character is being introduced very clearly and so that you cannot forget her name or forget her appearance or whatever they're really trying trying to like drill the whole character to your brain with that stunt face palm moment perhaps but you know it's uh, yeah i mean i mean it, it it's weird kind of like if if you would do that thing uh, in a movie today yeah like be that obvious about the fact that this is the moment you are now introducing a new character, a, a major character for the story. In these days, it would be actually a flaw in a movie. Everybody would point out that that was so honky, that one, one moment. That the point of that, point of it being so honky and being so obvious, it, it would be the sticking point in every review if done today. But back in the day when the rear window was Originally filmed, that that was something that got you an Oscar nomination for the best best picture. Like there there has been this change, which kind kind of a, is to be seen in way how we approach rear window. Or there is a change how we kind of a, what we tolerate on movies, and it can be seen on how we approach and how how we tolerate rear window. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's uh, there's nothing wrong with the structure it, itself. Or, you know, back in the day, it was uh, obviously just fine, and maybe people didn't really notice these things. I suppose not. But uh, yeah, now now it's uh, you can just see what they're doing there, and there's a lot of moments like that. For example, when Jeff is on the phone with uh, was was it like the editor of uh, the company that he works for? Yeah, yeah, the, you know, the editor of the newspaper or the magazine yeah. he works for and who he was working on or taking pictures for when he first got injured and got his leg broken before the film starts. Yeah, there you have the backstory for that already and everything you need. So Lisa visits the apartment and... Uh, Later on, she becomes convinced as, as well that there's something pretty peculiar happening on the other side. There's this box that is being carried out of the murderer's room. And uh, this raises the suspicion level of Grace Kelly's character. So the second act is basically uh, getting together Lisa and Stella on board with uh, Jeff. And once they have kind of established this uh, uh, three-person uh, setting against the suggested murderer, then things start rolling in a pretty 
fast phase. And uh, that's starting to get uh, near to the end of the movie. If we just like close or move fastly uh, over the whole movie and its uh, its points, main points. So there's this three three people team, and they challenge the murderer. And uh, Lisa goes to the house of the murderer and doesn't find much interesting there. Uh, she comes back, but she has to go go to the police station. She's uh, taken away and. Uh, later, she's back in the scene, and the gang is back together. And, and at this point, around this point, the murderer is coming to Jeff's apartment because uh, he has realized that uh, this is the guy who has been behind all of this hardship against him. And there's some uh, fun things going on using the flashlight three times and the guy doesn't uh, shut his eyes at, uh, at at all so he's blinded three times i don't know how that's possible okay i i can give it to to him that uh, it's going to be really bright and he cannot really walk with his uh, eyes closed either but yeah there's that uh, it's a great moment don't get me wrong it's a great moment and, and and this is what the whole movie is building up to the meeting of the murderer and jeff in the apartment it was a really uh, scary experience on the first first time i saw it and that's a uh, pretty impressive as far as i see it for a movie that is still really old so then uh, jeff is about to fall off uh, his own window uh, due to the struggle between these two people, and he actually falls out of the window, but the policemen under him catch him just in time, and uh, the day is saved, and the murderer is has confessed and is taking policemen to the crime scenes or the or the places where he has probably hacked her to pieces, whatever the case is. And roll credits, happy times, and even the neighbors have all solved their all of their problems. Now the songwriter has his uh, song completed and uh, there's this couple that lost their dog because of the murderer. He liked to kill some dogs as well. And now they have a new dog. Happy times. Doesn't happen in reality probably in, uh, in quite this way. And it's throughout the movie, it's a little bit ridiculous how much is going on all the time. I mean, I would love to see a version of this where everything is even more realistic. I mean, sound-wise, this movie is pretty realistic and everything is quite realistically done. I mean, the whole ambience of audio and video. Uh, but I would like to see something where the neighbors are probably harder to track and they are not so obvious, like full lights on and all, all the windows open and everybody making a lot of noise and everybody can hear each other. It doesn't really happen in, in that way in reality. And <laughs> that's the first thing I notice when I start watching this movie. But after a while, you're so interested in the plot that you don't really care so much. Yeah, well, the neighbors were kind of added on by Hitchcock, if I remember correctly. I mean, yeah. the... Was it was it the original novel or, or was it the or the original short story yeah. or was it the play which came way before the film and it only has like three characters 
the chef and the murderer and the murderer's wife and otherwise the story is completely stripped out of all, any characters besides them and more basically everything that the movie has on top of those three characters are add-ons by Hitchcock yeah yeah it's something like that uh definitely there is less neighbors and less going on and I think the attention is pretty much uh, focused on, on only this murderer character once, uh, you know, the person gets uh, aware of this character. Yeah, I never actually had those problems you found with the other neighbors. Like, I I, I completely see, see your point on how, how much we get to see them and the fact that they all have have an arc in the film and you you get to witness it on the the arc fully kind of a for for each neighbor as the film goes on even though the film covers only a time period of three or four days and and in that time frame you kind of get uh, get an arc for each neighbor I, I can see completely the argument that the, that is kind of a maybe ridiculous on how how neatly everything comes to get together in the film, but for the neighbors, but it, it never actually bothered me. Yeah, it's not a big deal, and definitely it's more fun to have more life than is in the short story. Definitely, I like pretty much, let's say, all the additions that Hitchcock and the screenwriter did to this uh, film version. For example, of course, the love story, it's uh, its so obvious and integral and important in this story. And uh, it it doesn't feel forced at all. It's uh, like a major part of it. Or you could argue that it's its so huge part of it that it's hard to imagine it to, without this. Yeah, uh, when it comes to the love story, I also make the argument that it's made hugely thanks to the actors. Yeah. But, like, they, they carry a lot of weight when it comes to the love story of the film. And there there is kind of a, one thing I always appreciate in the love story is that it, it showcases the age-old fact that happy living together, happy staying together is, is hugely possible as long as either one of them in the relationship completely kind of a sacrifices her, her or his own kind of a life and starts to pretend that he, he or she is hugely interested in the other <laughs> person's or he, he, or the partner's life. The closing picture of the film where Grace Kelly is kind of a, uh, reading this book about living in Himalayas, even though it interests her not at all, simply to appease the James Stewart's character, Jeff, and co- completely throws a book away and just pick up a magazine that interests her way more. Well, that's interesting because I was listening to this uh, professor of MIT uh, on YouTube and he had uh, pretty much the same to say about Rear Window and the relationship that they are being depicted as having in this film. But I I see it totally differently because throughout the film, uh, the neighbors kind of reflect or give, give more 
reasons for the couple to stay together or come together or more closer. They kind of see what they're doing. For example, the lonely lady is obviously symbolizing something in that, that uh, it's saying like, hey, please uh, don't uh, stay lonely. Please be together and sort out your arguments. So, But I feel that uh, Jeff is kind of misjudging uh, Lisa's character here a little bit. Like she, uh, he's coming too forcefully to her saying that that you are not capable of doing this and oh, uh, you would uh, freeze to death with this clothing in Finland. And it looks like uh, she's very, she has a lot of vanity in her, but as the film goes on, she's going to be an important part or like the major part how they solve this case. She's actually showing courage and let's say modesty because uh, she's sacrificing her uh, her dress going over the courtyard or, or, or whatever the uh, fence there and then climbing up on whatever ladder and to go to the window and to the, the murderer's apartment. So that's great. So, so she's also showing that she's adventurous. And after this, she's reading the book, but I think she's genuinely interested in the book that she's reading at the closing frame. But the thing is, uh, she's changing the Vogue to say or wink to the audience that, uh, okay, hey, uh, we can make some adjustments here and I can, I can make them and make them happily. But some part of me is still going to stay and it's never going to change. Yeah, there, there is one of the major themes of the movie kind of is proving yourself to others. Like Lisa has to prove herself to Jeff. And at the same time, Jeff kind of has to prove himself to the authorities about the whole murder plot actually being true. But um, yeah, I, I, I actually have a different take on Lisa and kind of a, how much it's okay to kind of a demand her to, to change and kind of a, even on, you know, as you made on Jeff's point on uh, how Lisa could probably not survive the adventurous life that Jeff has gone through, kind of all the hardships that have been in Jeff's lives throughout his adventures. Like there is, there is a whole aspect that Lisa comes from money and always has. And if I remember correctly, wasn't she also kind of having like her own clothing shop or something like that, which she run? Well, I just remember that uh, she did some modeling. Yeah. So, so there is, there is for Jeff, Jeff's argument that Lisa could not take kind of the life that Jeff lives. Uh, I, I see strength in there because, you know, because Lisa's personal background is so completely different. And because there is, there is certain safety and certain rules and guidelines and luxuries that she is accustomed to, and th- those are something that would be completely kind of a taken out from her if if she would follow kind of 
chefs life and go into these crazy photographic adventures and start to freeze herself off in in Finland and at the same time there is kind of an argument to make that demanding this kind of a change from Lisa is not completely fair for her either because True. yeah because she has kind of a she has her own life completely like she has a career and she has social networks and she has loyalties and things she has to do in her life and they those are her things so in, in that case demanding that she should abandon those and kind of a become and start to play pay interest in chef's lives and kind of the hardships it's it's not fair fair for Lisa's character yeah i know yeah yeah it's definitely the whole fight scene which they're they're having he's making totally i think inappropriate arguments and we see a little bit of this let's say 50s spirit i think where he's just saying twice to her directly shut up shut up and even then yeah. he, he says that oh we can even go to the nasty areas or the nasty conversation if you want and this is the point where she's leaving the apartment or is ready to leave so yeah that's that's uncalled for all of it but i think she's trying to show to jeff in the end that uh, he she's able to able to change herself or maybe she's just showing the qualities about herself that weren't evident before and i think in the end unlike the mit professor said in the youtube video i disagree completely i think the uh, love story is uh, like solved and everything is a happy ending regarding this part at the end of the movie but according to the MIT guy, it never gets resolved, and uh, there's some dishonest uh, qualities about her. But I don't agree with this. Yeah, well, uh, th this may be one of the talking points where where we kind of land on different footings in the end. Yeah, because uh, uh, yeah, I, I haven't seen this lecture from this professor, but I, I don't say I, I would. Uh, Agree completely, but I, I would say seventy percent. Seventy percent agreement. All right, that's good, yeah. good enough to continue. We've talked a little bit about the video, and we a little bit touched on the audio as well. So I feel like the whole audio la landscape is pretty realistic apart from us hearing all the neighbors and stuff all the time. But it probably gives you more fear, more of the thriller aspect in this movie, because the soundscape always stays the same. Like, whenever something nefarious or scary is happening or about to happen, the soundscape stays the same. You, you hear the background jazz there, the guy playing the piano, or, or the dog barking or so that's great so that this is happening instead of there being some sound effects for added effect so what we're hearing is a so-called non-diegetic uh, soundscape in music and sound so diegetic actually would be then these added sound effects for example you hear this in 
shitty horror movies all the time with the jump scares. Uh, jump scares are not always bad, but uh, they are being really overused nowadays. So I have to say something more about the music. Uh, when I put on this movie again after so many years, I thought I would hear something totally different. But when the starting titles come on the screen, I'm hearing soft uh, piano music, right? So it's totally unexpected. I expect something, yep. let's say, uh, creedier. But as the film goes on, then you notice that, that what they're trying to do there. And I think that works great. And when I think about all, all the great thrillers or horror films, I think they follow this kind of same tactic. The more realistic everything is, the scarier it will be. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, this film got an Oscar nomination for sound, and rightfully so. Acting is pretty much fantastic in this movie, and they have a really fantastic script to work with. So there's a lot of funny and intelligent uh, quips and humor everywhere. And I found myself laughing out loud at some of the moments. There's this funny quote when the detec detective is coming to the house and the detective is not convinced that something bad, bad is going on. So the detective uh, asks from Jeff something random as he's leaving the apartment saying, have you had any headache lately? And Jeff replies, not until you showed up and things like that. Yeah, yeah, thing, things you... Yeah, thing, things things you can never say to a cop unless he's an old friend of yours. <laughs> exactly. Or the house your wife when when he the detective is staring uh, yeah, at the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The nice scene of the cop completely peering over, you know, the ballet dancer. Yeah. <laughs> and getting caught up on that from Jeff who actually does the exact same thing throughout the whole fucking movie, but there's nothing wrong with that, because <laughs> Jeff is single. Yeah, <laughs> sort of. Yeah, so, yeah, sort of. Like, like, it, like it would say in Facebook these days, it's com complicated, but... <laughs> but when it comes to rear window, it's complicated means that it's completely okay to put on your neighbor. And it's completely okay to have a massage in whatever 35, 40 Celsius that they have in the apartment. Jeff is sweating like hell. And just moments after, I think, uh, he's having the massage and he's complaining that, why do you never warm up that massage oil? And the uh, assistant says that, well, it's good for your, for your blood circulation that you're getting it cold. Yeah, sure. And I... I, yeah. I would definitely want it cold at that point. So I don't understand this. I think somebody forgot the Celsius. Yeah, well, yeah. There, there are actually... There are noticeable moments when you actually can start to think that... Did, did somebody, somebody forget to proofread the script for the la one last time? Uh, I found some, let's say, misogynistic aspects in the movie well we talked about it a little bit earlier uh there's this uh, the movie basically starts with this phone call and i believe it's during this first phone call when jeff says that in his neighborhood the women are nagging not having a conversation or 
talking. So that jumped at my face a little bit. Uh, there was something else like this as well. Maybe I can think of it later. Other things that uh, jumped at my face was uh, the uh, physical health or physical appearance, let's say, of Jeff when he's about to have the massage. Uh, he wasn't particularly old, I think, when, when they were filming this, but his uh, whole body seemed really uh, a little bit saggy. Not, not fat, but it was like old man's belly or something, and uh, he wasn't that old. So I think it was normal during that time. Nobody really took care of their body for the sake of appearance, at least in the uh, you know stomach area, I think. There wasn't so, so much atten attention paid to this as like now, uh, like half of Poland is carrying a six pack and stuff like this. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, the whole, whole kind of a, the, uh, a body has to be like a sculpture. Uh, kind of a fetishization of the human body. I mean, it, it was back in those days, but not nearly in the, or I would say not nearly in the kind of a extent that it is today, especially in, like, this is also a Hollywood film. If this would be made today, Jeff would actually have a six-pack and he would have been made up, look like 20 years younger than he is, or the actor really is, and... I, I would believe there would be some kind of a added breasts on Grace Kelly and God knows what else. Uh, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is that uh, it, it doesn't really bother me, but I can just see that this would never fly in a modern movie. No way. Not on a modern movie anymore. There, there would be a studio interference like dem demanding that. You you can't have a saggy belly on the main male character. What, what are you thinking? Like put him on a team and have a six pack there and yeah stuff like that. Like if if you watch old pictures of Marilyn Monroe, who was or who was a huge sexual symbol of her age, there is still you know visible cellulite. Or you, that you can clearly see on some of the pictures. That's what makes her and, more you know, more sexy or, or or interesting still, because I think she looks so regular, right? Yeah, and you know, like a real human being. Yeah, that that is part of. But but today, it's there. There is the you you can't be a sexual symbol with a cellulite that easily today. At least not without some body positivity campaign or some change in the cultural uh, atmosphere. Yeah, that's true. Uh, this movie is, by the way, the 45th on the IMDb list of the greatest movies of all time. I'm not surprised. I'm more surprised by some of the other movies there that I'm quite unimpressed by. Uh, anyway, this listing on IMDb as much as you love lists was thinking of asking you if you would be interested in going through some of those movies from that list or would you like to go more or organically probably we don't want to go through all of them because it would take a hell of a lot of time and we wouldn't care about uh, 50 percent of the movies perhaps yeah I'm I'm kind of all in I mean if it's up to me we can just Please through through that 
Cole, IMDb, what, 250 best movies ever. Uh, we, hell, we, I'm up for the challenge of us coming through also the list of 100 worst movies of all time. Yeah, yeah, that would be, that would make some interesting episodes, I bet. Yeah, uh, the other other place where there was some kind of, maybe not misogynistic, but yeah, it, yeah, it's kind of misogynistic. The, the way that the detective says this when uh, he's, he's visiting the house again and, and Grace Kelly and uh, Mr. Jimmy are in the apartment at the same time. And he says that there's no such thing as woman's instinct. You can see that he's kind of pissed off about the whole claim that there's such thing as woman's instinct. Of course, women can see things from the different perspective. Apparently, you need a woman to tell that. Yeah, well, I, I, actually, I, I, um, I'm on completely different side on that argument. Like, I, I mean, I, I 100% sided with the cop okay. throughout this movie. Uh, and, you know, basically, the, the major, major thing when it comes to the famous murder inv- investigation in the rear window is that it's, it's it's completely fucking ridiculous. <laughs> kind of a, a how how they come to the conclusions it defies all fucking logics. Like the the whole thing is that Jeff hears a scream one night and th- then he he sees his neighbor leaving the apartment multiple times during one fucking night. Of course, there has to be, have been a murder. But like. No other explanation can ever exist. Like Jeff completely fucking chooses to believe that there has been a murder. And same goes for Lisa later in, in the movie when she she first is against Jeff's theory that there there has a murder has happened in the apartment complex. And then then she she just sees the neighbor tying together. A, you know, this, this big box, this travel trunk. And at that moment, Lisa chooses to believe that murder really has happened. And the, the whole, whole argument that, of course, of course, the neighbor has had to murder his wife because a woman would never leave her handbag and her jewelry. Like, uh, just, just, just no, just no. <laughs> Like, like the entire time the cop is going through through that, you know, there there is logical explanations to all, all of this, and and that you guys are just jumping to the conclusion that cop is kind of the sound of reason throughout the entire film, uh, and the whole whole thing is just or or Jeff's whole investigation is just based on hastily made conclusions. And then the famous woman's instinct on how a woman would never go go out without her favorite handbag and her jewelry, and that those are those are the only evidence they have. Yeah, it, it's a it's a godsend for Jeff that at the final minutes of the film it proves out that the turmoil really did kill his wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the Simpsons had this spoof episode of the exact same, or actually, actually they had a spoof episode of Rear Window, where they 
play the exact same same scenario. This time, in the sense that Bart comes convinced that Ned Flanders has killed his wife, and on the final minutes of that episode, it, the wife just fi- finally shows up, and it turns out that she she really was just having a trip, and e- everything is fine, and everything was just misconception on Bart's part. And I I, I don't completely see the exact exact same scenario possibly happening in rear window. It, it's just that during those like five last minutes of the movie, it it, it finally kind of uh, magically locks together. I completely agree. And I was wondering after the movie, what if what if they would have taken another way, another twist? or uh, actually a twist to the ending where it would be now obvious that they were just constructing all of this in their heads and he wasn't actually a killer. Uh, that would have been interesting, but they chose to go through the simple route. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I mean, if it would have actually turned out that Jeff was imagining the whole thing, I would think that it would have been more... It would have been a better kind of a casual tale in, in in that sense because if something that Jeff is actually the original kind of a stalking grandma that you have in every goddamn housing complex all the time, you know, you know the person who just stalks his neighbors and. Uh, has a regular booking, bookkeeping on how, how long this person takes a shower and who, who left the trash out and whose muddy footprints are on the kind of a, the front pavement and typical pain in the ass that you have like crazy in Finland in the end. Like, the original, the official word is kyttä ja mummo, and if something Jeff completely is a goddamn kyttä ja mummo throughout the entire film, and, and you know, him being wrong at the end would have been kind of a, it would have been a warning to the coming kyttä ja mummos of Finland entirely, showing them that you actually shouldn't do this because if something in the end you just end up making a complete ass of yourself because you just start seeing murders and stuff like that around you. Yeah, the rational brain of me kind of wants this film to go a different path. And uh, uh, yeah, it would be nice that the rational uh, or the sound of reason would win this movie so that it turns out that the movie, the soundscape uh, goes along with the realism uh, of everything else. So let's say Detective was right and they are completely crazy. I mean, they are, let's not say delusional, but they are believing things that are not there when they're putting together some vague evidence, let's say. And in the end, it would be kind of a a mini school for you that uh, it's not a good idea to spy people on windows. Yeah, uh, and it, it would kind of uh, play into the movie in a sense that uh, even though Jeff, in the end, is right about, you know, Thurman kill, killing his wife, he still kind of gets a lot of points of his theory completely wrong uh, during the film. Like, like Jeff questions the fact that Thorvald never actually 
escorted his wife to the train station, which kind of, uh, yeah, is, is, is true because the, his wife at the moment is actually hacked up in pieces, uh, in the bedroom or, you know, scattered around the city. So it, uh, the fact that third world, the third world never was able to escort his wife to the train station. But Jeff is uh, wrong in a sense that he kind of ends up questioning entirely that Thorvald never escorted anyone to the train station. And that is something that Thorvald actually did really do in a film. Like, like the whole murder mystery has the moment where Thorvald escorts his mistress to the train station to act as a, as his wife to cover his tracks. And that is a point that Jeff completely kind of a, does not come to. He completely just wins with there was never any escort. Nobody was ever escorted to the train station. And the whole trip to the train station never took place. And the same with the theory that Thorvald would have hacked his wife into pieces and hidden the pieces into the trunk that he then sends away to the shipping company. Like, like that, that is all another piece of Jeff, Jeff's theory that is actually proven false during the film. And th- this is kind of a, the, the only parts of his theory that in the end hold together are it comes down to two pieces basically and they are all both confirmed at the very last minutes of the movie basically the main theory that Thorvald actually did kill his wife which is confirmed on the closing shots and then the fact that Thorvald did hide something in the uh, flower bushes or the the flower bush on the front yard believes that part of Thorvald's wife's corpse has been buried there and it is I, I it is never actually brought up what he what Thorvald originally buried in the flowery bush but but he did bury something mm. so in that sense Jeff was right but there is only like two points of the theory and another and one of these two points is the basically the whole theory that Thorvald is a murderer it's it's kind of bizarre that he would actually dump uh, parts of his uh, now uh, kind of parted wife on his own backyard. Yeah. He's still there, and uh, it doesn't make any sense yeah, to me. Or, or maybe he's just trying. To, yeah, or, yeah, or you know, have leaking blood, leaking body parts, and just stuff them in some trunk, and have a shipping company to ship them away. <laughs> what if they are, you know, shipping the trunk into, you know, a train and all of a sudden there is huge blood trail that just starts leaving from the trunk and nobody in their right mind would ever do that. The, the, the correct yeah. way of butchering your wife and having her hacked to the pieces is like Thorvald ends up doing in the movie. You you kill her in the bedroom and then you chop her in the pieces on the bathtub and then you scatter the, the body parts all around the city and hopefully uh, preferably you actually throw them in rivers or lakes or some areas like that. 
you don't really go through all this trouble and then just flew it on your face by stacking bloody body parts on a trunk. I, I, like that, that is that, that that is something not to do. It's 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 one 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 on hacking your wife to pieces. Don't stuff the body parts in a trunk. Yeah, yeah. And, and that, that that is exactly what Jeff actually says at what Thorval or what Jeff Jeffries believes Thorval has done. The goddamn murderer is mother is way more smart throughout the film than Jeffries is. And it's it's disheartening to see that in the end he gets caught. Because goddamn, the, the killer is like the most logical person. The killer and the cop are the two most logical persons you have in this movie. I guess in those times they didn't do much checkups on packages. I, I could be wrong about that. I haven't fact-checked. But that probably, they probably did less checks than they do now, obviously. Yeah, wherever that was going, it was just going to the next uh, village or something like that, right? He sent, sent the, the trunk to his mistress, who was pretending to be Mrs. Thorwall, and in that role, the mistress kind of kind of checked out the trunk, uh, and this helped to build the complete alibi that Thorvald's wife would just have gone to a trip. I understand that, but it was within the same country. They were just talking about this city or village or town that is probably not too far away. Or I got the impression. But... Yeah, yeah, I, uh, yeah. I I don't remember. Well, well, what was the town where she was kind of led, led to believe that she would have left? Uh, it's not not a key component of the thing, but uh... the, yeah, yeah, not 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 in this case. Jeff ends up being a complete goddamn idiot and a total kuttajamummo, <laughs> no matter where. Actually, you know what what or, or the name of the town does not affect. Peace. Uh, for our listeners, the Kuttajamummo is something like a, an old grandmother who is who likes to stare from his uh, her window uh, and be up to date of everything that the neighbors are doing in the vicinity, that kind of thing. <laughs> and actually, Poland is kind of known for this kind of behavior. This. So yeah, uh, even though we are both Finnish, I, I live in Poland and work, work in Poland. And uh, Henrik is still in the list-loving, bureaucracy-loving Finland. Yeah, in the ass end of Finland, in a kind of a father's parts. Or, or not really, but, you know, ending up in Lapland. Yeah, well, it's a beautiful place. Every place has their advantages. Uh, except Grave. Let's talk about Graves. Most actors of the film are dead, which is not not a surprise. I have this weird tendency to to go through the actors' pages and see which one of them are living or or, or dead. So five people are alive of the original cast and crew. Time flies. There was actually a lot of tragic deaths related to this movie. I mean, obviously Grace Kelly was in a automobile accident 
and she was only 52, I believe, but in uh, in her 50s anyway. And Mr. James Stewart, he died uh, already uh, quite a long time ago. He was 89. But uh, by and large, the cast and crew have died actually in their 40s, uh, 50s and 60s. Maybe we should talk about the technical stuff a little bit. The movie kind of shows its technical aging very early on. In the opening shots, you see the helicopter flying above and you can clearly see that this has been planted into the image. It doesn't look natural. And I'm still wondering what the hell is the like the point of the helicopter. It just is there for like two seconds and I don't think it's I don't think it has any point. Can you think of any point? Well, I'm I'm sure that you know if, if you give me five minutes and two shots of whiskey, I can come <laughs> up with some half asset symbolism or something like like that to yeah. have a point for the helicopter. Like the part that actually most stuck in my eye. Now, now that I just recently rewatched, rewatched the film, and I'm, I'm not completely sure about this. Maybe you can prove me wrong. It, it may just be the problem on, on my copy of, of the film. Hmm. But God damn it. In the, in the final minutes or, or the very final minutes of the film, basically, after Thorvald starts pushing Jeff out of the window and the cops are on the opposite, opposite house and they start, uh, and on that moment when the cops start to, you know, uh, run back to the Jeff's apartment to save him. Yeah. The, the, the movie kind of, uh, it, it speeds up. Yes. La, la, like the fu- fucking editing speeds up really weirdly like it's you can at, at least in my version you can clearly see yeah. the film kind of uh going three times as as, <laughs> as fast as normally and, and then it drops down like a half of notch from there like when the cops start to run to Jeff's apartment, it's like Looney Tunes, like yes. Speedy Gonzales or some shit like that. Real goddamn fast. Then it slows down when they are cl- climbing over the the wall to get to Jeff's apartment. And then there is this half sped up moment when the officer asks for a gun and the second officer throws him a gun. Would it be like twice as fast as normally? And if the cops running to Jeff's apartment would be three times as fast as normal, mm. edited. Yeah. And the film would run, yeah. Yeah. The, but, but basically, there, there, yeah, there are these really strange kind of an ups and downs on how fast the film goes during that one goddamn scene or that one moment in, in the story, in the, in the film. But, but like that, that is something that completely kind of stick out. Since we are now talking about the ed- editing and the filming and all that stuff, you know, that 
for the life of me, like, like I said, you know, give me five minutes and two shots of whiskey and I can come up with some half-ass symbolism for the helicopter. But what the fuck was going on with that scene? Like, what, what the hell? I mean, I, I, I thought that, you know, Alfred Hitchcock was supposed to be this master director and the master of his craft. And there you can see a dude's a complete fucking hack. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I see the same problems that you see in the ending. Okay. And it was actually uh, the most distracting thing uh, in the end for me. And it made the ending of the film the weakest part for me in the entire thing. Uh, I remember vividly there's a scene which it's, it's even the whole shot is going so fast. There's somebody running, I believe, from the murderer's building. And it's going by so fast that you cannot actually see what the hell is happening in that shot. It's li literally probably uh, 0.4 seconds, that whole thing, or less. So, and I don't understand what, what is the motivation for having these uh, sped up scenes, because it's so obvious. Uh, I don't think people were so naive, even those, even in those times, I mean, comparatively naive to now regarding cinema, that they would not notice something like that. Yeah, especially since back, back then you would have seen it from a big screen, where, where it would have been like twice as obvious to, to notice this, like, like if you compare it to like today watching it from your laptop and have, having a few inches of screen, but you know, having it on big screen, you know, you can't help but not to notice the speeding up of the image. Yeah. And, and there, there, there really is no fucking point to that. Like, what, what, what was the logical construction behind, you know, choosing that? Yeah, this is the moment. Now we are going to speed this, the whole fucking image up. Like, why, why would you do that? And, and the story actually does the exact same thing on its own right <laughs> at that same time. L like, like uh, in, in closing up the story, the cops basically store Jeff's room where they instantly arrest Thorwall. As they fucking shoot, but immediately after being arrested, if we are to believe the cops, Thorwall automatically confesses yes. of killing his wife <laughs> and there's the cops that yeah yeah i scared the body parts on you know the river so so uh, actually I, I can help you out i can take you to all, all the places i threw through her body parts and you know you can just fish them out of the water let's go yeah, I can imagine that yeah. they, they should have included yeah, that scene. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, mean yeah, I mean, the main detective haven't even made it through the yard when one of the arresting officers just yells him that, "Hey, Torvo just told us where he had hidden hidden the body parts, and we are now going to fish them out." Like, like, uh, yeah, uh, after you get here on this apartment, would you want to have to tag along with us, you know? But, yeah, it's literally what, like what that. What the fuck? It's literally like yeah. that, that he, he throws Jeff out of, out of the window, and then literally at the same time, the policemen obviously come, and they must go up, and then they will talk with Thorwald, and he just has this time to tell this whole story and then somebody comes back and tells this to Jeff downstairs. Right. Okay. That's literally yeah, five, yeah, 10 I, seconds. Yeah. 
Yeah, and Thorbo never even tries to, you know, come up with any excuse for his actions. Yeah, I, I found it a little uh, like, rushed. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, I admit that I tried to pull through the guy out of his window, but that's simply because he's been serving and spying on me for two days and I couldn't just couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. But I promise you all that my wife is still very much alive. Like like he 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 does not try that. He just confesses automatically. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. Or maybe he just realized that uh, there there's not much further to go with this this line. Yeah, yeah, he 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 realized that the movie is actually ending. So <laughs> this is the moment when you do that. <laughs> <laughs> it is the last moment when the killer finally reads the script and <laughs> script and notices that oh my fucking god I've reached the final pages. That that's a good excuse for him. Okay. Yeah, we're pretty much gone through the whole movie and and its parts as far as I can remember them off the top of my hat, if I had any. But maybe we could have a little. Uh, discussion about the film school aspects. Uh, you are in film school, basically, or you're in a media school like I was. And I went through like quite a couple of these videos on YouTube. And there's film students that try to explain, I guess it's like a, a, some kind of essay that they have to re represent. Part of them are like essays that, that, they, that they are probably presenting to the class in their school or uni or whatever. And I have a problem with those essays, as I usually do have a problem with movie essays that they uh, had in the media school. I can see a similar kind of stuff or uh, thinking here. Or maybe it's just me. I guess these are up to opinion. My biggest problem here is probably that some of these aspects are explained as they were facts. That Hitchcock is doing this or Hitchcock is doing that and that, that means this and that. And I fail to see some of it completely, or I see something completely different. But anyway, there was one example about the beginning of the movie, movie where you see the teachers or the titles, and, and, and the student says that they open the curtains behind the titles to keep the audience wanting to know more. Well, first of all, the movie has just started, so I don't know what I'm, what I'm wanting here. I'm not sure. But it's basically like saying the cat in the film symbolizes uh, Jeff's willingness to dig deeper underground to solve their relationship problems or something silly like that. <laughs> This is what I hear in film classes. That, that's, that's, that's my opinion, I guess. But then there are weird comments like, here is the marvelous camera technique of panning. And uh, I'm like, it's basically like saying the lighting technique of having the light on. <laughs> It's it's pretty <laughs> integral for filmmaking. <laughs> you move the camera, and that's what it is. Uh, yeah, yeah, but but, but in, in for the film students' defense, he or she is right on that one. You know, you, you kind of you you have to have a planning <laughs> in your movie. <laughs> yes, but yeah, okay. I'm, I I don't want to sound like I'm dissing all film students or something like that. No, 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 no. But I'm saying that that there are some people who. Kind of seem to put something together, and they think that it's a established fact or something like this. And then there was this teacher, David Thor Thornberg from MIT, who said 
these things about the character of Lisa that uh, and nothing had been resolved by the end of the movie. But I guess that's up to interpretation, as we discussed earlier. Yeah. But but the, the, that is kind of the dark side of film analysis every time. One of the reasons why I myself usually try to stay away from looking for a symbolism yes. in movies that much, because it. it's a kind of a never-ending rabbit hole if you truly go that way. Yes, yes. That's exactly what I w- wanted to say as the second point. People see symbolism everywhere, and they... Some people take yeah. it for granted that this is how it is. I would imagine being like the professor or whoever, teacher at the class and listening to this and face palming inside my head. <laughs> like thinking, where, where do they come up with this stuff? You know, it's sometimes so forced yeah. and so bullshit. Yeah, and, and rather, rather after that, you would have to take a look at your own lecture, die, PowerPoints and... Just see that. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is where they put all that all that bullshit out of. But, but yeah, you know, try tying into that that whole point on the overall analyzing the films. There, there is this great, you know, moment on making of documentary for the David Fincher's remake on the girl with the dragon tattoo, where they are filming some outdoor shots, and and there is a rainbow, uh, you know, in a distance. And if I remember correctly, that is the moment when Fincher has actually closed down the shot so that they can get the rainbow out of the picture. Uh, and the F- Fincher just goes, you know, mocking this exact same uh, over, uh, overlooking for, you know, the symbolism in basically every frame of a picture. He just looks at the rainbow and he's like, a rainbow, what does it need? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe it just happened to be in the frame. Yeah. Generally, this is my problem with anything art or the way we interpret art, that people think that, I guess, that everything is up for discussion, that this uh, murderer in rear window must mean that this is some kind of symbolism for eating too much because he's a little bit obese, so don't go to McDonald's. And uh, this somehow reflects to Alfred Hitchcock and his tummy and then it's saying something completely else like have a healthier life and yeah yeah it's it's a clever metaphor for alfred hitchcock's self-loathing for himself for being obese <laughs> but but yeah that, that that is kind of a it's a it's kind of a hard road to go either way you know be be for it or be completely against it because at at the same time movies themselves and filmmakers themselves are kind of a, or on a fault for creating the whole scenario where everything is kind of over analyzed and seeing symbolism everywhere because at the same time while there are a lot of these over kind of analyzing essays on film. And like you said, all, all these film school essays on rear window, make-believe symbolism is seen. At the same time, the movies themselves heavily play on symbolism and often use symbolism and want to throw it out there. For, for example, in lighting or what they show and how they show and, you know, so, so there is basically 
it's a rabbit hole where both sides of the argument are just kind of a storming off from each other. Films indulge in symbolism, which in the end leads into film school students who oversee symbolism in everything. I think it happens to many directors as well. Or, I mean, generally, they might have an idea about a film. And then they have some uh, artistic differences, let's say screenwriter and a director. And they come up with these bullshit arguments how something should be made. And at the end of the day, it's really not integral to the story. It, it, it doesn't matter. And uh, oftentimes, directors or people in power in media, especially, seem to be really convinced or, or, or they really strongly push forward their own views. And there's a lot of clashes of egos and ideas. And, and this kind of frustrated me sometimes. I mean, it, it wasn't really bad. We didn't have any bad uh, atmosphere per se, but I just saw that people were clinging onto this useless little things that didn't mean anything. So that kind of pushed me away from that world where everything could be overanalyzed. Yeah. Funny thing about Grace Kelly, to shift gears a little bit, you said that in the movie she was depicted as somebody who comes from an affluent background, which is true. And I heard some rumblings or some views that actually Grace Kelly she was starring in an earlier movie by Hitchcock, I believe. But then they saw some things that didn't quite work with the character. Maybe Grace Kelly was a little bit too tense on the set and in the movie as the, as the character. And for this movie, they still wanted Grace Kelly for the film. This time they started to study her. Like, what, what is she about as a person? And how could we make her look uh, more relaxed or natural or better in this film? So what they did, they really got to know her. And what you see on the film is actually pretty much her real nature. And uh, she did come, I guess, from a moderately affluent background. And later on, she did marry the Prince of Monaco. And after that, she had to stop making films altogether because the people of Monaco and the the princessness didn't allow for making these dirty movies where they see their princess uh, kissing Sean Connery or whatever the case might be. So that was it. And then she crashed with the car. And yeah, it's especially interesting in, you know, seeing on marketing point of view for Monaco, because, you know, you would thought that if your prince is married to a well-known movie star, if, if something as a country or, or a small country like Monaco, if there's something you would actually like to do is push her to make more movies so that you could always have this PR assets. Like our, our princess is on these movies. Exactly. And uh, yeah, getting fame out there. I, I mean, that, that is something you can't or something that the Engl English royalty has not been able to pull off. You've never seen Queen Elizabeth in basically never done any acting. <laughs> yeah, well, that would be interesting. Yeah, it's weird that they didn't use this as kind of a, like a getting money flowing to Monaco, especially when they were, I guess, not doing so well in the 50s. 
yet. I may be wrong. Yeah, or or as a you know political asset. That's how I would have actually done it. I I, I would have fully supported on Grace Kelly's acting career while she was married to Reiner and kind of tried to build her up into this national symbol of Monaco. That's that that's make making movies and try to use that as a kind of a play it out so that they take it into the whole political game that the nations are playing. Yeah. Uh, did you find anything about regarding the business side of this movie? I saw that the estimated budget was around one million, but I couldn't see any very clear statistics how much it did actually on the actual opening weekend. You can see on IMDb that it was re-released on uh, the year 83, but uh, then it made like a quarter of a million dollars, but that doesn't really help me. But I guess the worldwide gross uh, is around 37 million. Yeah, and it, it was an influential movie for Hitchcock's career. Yeah. And in a sense also, you know, James Stewart's, because they had had the previous collaboration a few years before they made Rio Vindio, the Hitchcock's movie Rope, which also had James Stewart in it. And if I remember correctly, Rope actually flopped, or not necessarily flopped, but was not the success that uh, they had hoped for it to be. And in that uh, in that sense, kind of a rear window was kind of a chance for them to redeem themselves as a uh, working collaborators. And it was uh, this rear window was made around the probably the best times of Alfred Hitchcock's career, or let's say in the area or the era where he probably made his most uh, critically acclaimed films or the most popular films. There was also Vertigo. I believe uh, this was the first film. It might have been the first film that I saw from Hitchcock. I've seen Vertigo, but it, it's been such a long time ago. I, I saw that in school. So yeah, the Hitchcock films have always been, I guess, rightfully so, important films for studying film. Yeah, um, I, I can see the arguments for studying film. Like, I, I'm, I'm not saying that every Hitchcock movie is, is something that I myself would regard as a, as a hit. If to be brutally honest, especially the early, early UK era Hitchcockian films, I think they are some of his worst movies, to be completely honest. And as films, just okay. Like, not, not any masterpieces. I've seen also some movies from the 20s, but yeah, you can definitely see his uh, footprint very early on and how he, he, was, he was one of the first people to use sound in the films. Started in the 30s already, I believe, for him. So yeah, adopting the very, 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 very early technology and so on. Uh, maybe we can move on to the top lists at this point. Like kind of top, what you what you liked about the movie, what you perhaps didn't like about the movie. So what's your favorite performance? 
I, I would say that James Stewart and Case Kelly both. Like, it's hard for me to kind of separate between them, like, like saying that which one of the two was best or better. I, I, I would like that, put that kind of a shared first place. Yeah, that sounds good. I also uh, like the assistant. I keep forgetting her name, uh, but she's doing a fantastic job and all the characters are very memorable and uh, I think they give more than their uh, fair share of talent and uh, 100% onto the screen. So no complaints at all. From my side, there's nothing notable like talent-wise that would be less or more talented on the screen. I'd say that uh, Grace Kelly and James Stewart can have the uh, shared place. I really can't say which one would be doing the better job. They have a great chemistry on, on screen. Uh, favorite uh, scene in the movie? Well, you can th- you can take this one first, and I'll, I'll try to actually choose what was my favorite scene. This one is probably easy. There's a lot of scenes to like. But the most memorable for me by far is, of course, the moment when the murderer comes to James's or Jimmy's or Jeff's house or apartment. And, and, and he's seen in this uh, lowly lit set and we don't even fully see his face. And just the moment or all the build up when he's coming uh, in the stairs and finally opens the door and they meet. It's a uh, fantastic yeah, uh, I guess in a, in a like a failing to come up with a better scene myself, I I guess I have to go with you on this one. All right, fair enough. Yeah, I I, I really was trying to you know push this and find some edgy point of view and you know point some completely ridiculous scene and try to defend that one as a best scene of the <laughs> film, but you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At this one moment, I'm actually drawing a blank here. Yeah, fair enough. Favorite quote? Uh, I don't know, but I like detective interaction with Jeff. They have some great moments and quotes all around. Yeah, yeah. The, the detective interaction is easily one of the, or I, I, I can't say, you know, best interactions in the movie, but I, I I would say it's maybe the, one of the strongest interactions in the movie because the de- detective and Jeffries they they clash so much on uh, ideology or or intellectually in their interactions where Je- Jeffries just pushes this theory that like said really does not have that much stuff working for it and the detective just comes with the logical side and with the logical arguments and the stuff that actually makes sense most sense in the movie when he's trying to shoot down jeffrey's theory about the murder yeah that's right so what's the most exciting moment for you in the film i would again lean on towards the murderer meeting Jeff. That's pretty much it. Uh, I perhaps the early early night scenes in the film. The the moments when Jeffrey starts to 
kind of a believe that there is something fishy going on on the apartment complex. So I, I guess I would go with those. Simply on the fact that, you know, the fa- final scene with the killer in Jeffrey's apartment is iconic and seen so many times that so, simply for the hell of it, I try to pick something else. <laughs> and I would say it's it's those first kind of a atmospheric kind of a mystery building scenes. Perhaps the perhaps the first night, the night when the Jeffrey hears the scream. Yeah, and the cat gets killed, right? Uh, dog, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Alrighty. Uh, when you think of this movie, what's the first image that pops up to your head? I guess it's Jeffrey in his wheelchair with his camera spying his neighbor. Yeah, I can think of the scene where, basically the starting scene, I remember the curtains coming up and then the camera uh, going to the window. That's quite memorable. Yeah, that's that's what I think when I think of Rear Window. And of course all the uh, suspenseful stuff that I already mentioned like three times. All right. Any finishing uh, thoughts? Probably you want to use some kind of a scale to give some kind of a review points for this movie. Should we go with the most natural scale for us? Probably from one to five. Uh, I don't know. Or should should we just either be without giving a rating or simply go with with uh, thumbs up, thumbs down? Or yeah, I like. Would you recommend this one? Uh, yeah. To someone else. Well, that's also what I was thinking because I really like this uh, Rotten Tomatoes way, which you either recommend it or not. It makes sense. So let's go with that then. Would I recommend uh, Rear Window? Absolutely. Of course. Yeah, no doubt about it. It's probably one of the best Hitchcock films. If not the best, it's probably showing the, it's probably the best showcase of what Hitchcock likes to do when he's doing in his films mostly uh, when it comes to uh, pacing structure, how he plays with his actors and puts the story together and the suspense and all that. So absolutely, yes. Thumbs up. Yeah, I I would also recommend Rear Window. I would recommend it to every stalking neighbor that <laughs> you, you can have in Finland or Poland because that if something the movie is a confirmation that you are completely right <laughs> in your story and you should continue it because god damn it you are, may catch up a murderer someday <laughs> all right that's awesome finishing thoughts thanks a lot henrik it's uh, it's really great that we are back together again doing something related to the things that we like to do discuss art specifically movies it's been great uh, let's see how this first episode goes and and of course it can be only up from from here on yeah i mean at, at this point you know we have basically thrown stones at rear window <laughs> and hitchcock as a director and f- film students so <laughs> what, what could possibly go wrong in the future uh, I agree. <laughs> yeah, it's it's my critical nature. I don't want to prettify things. Thanks a lot for joining us if you did. So once again, thank you Henrik, thank you for the audience, if any, 
and see you in the next episode. Yeah.